began to pray, Lord, what would you like me to preach that would have something to do with family feud? And it was like the Lord said, preach on why some families feud. So you say, oh, Pastor, are you serious? That's exactly where we're going tonight. Feuding is fighting. And I would suggest to you that it's not God's plan behind the doors of your home that there be fighting, that there be bickering, that there be strife. That is not God's plan. And yet you know it's true that behind some doors, that kind of feuding happens all the time. So we're going to begin with Matthew chapter 10. And the reason that we're starting here is it's talking about two very different homes. Look there, if you would, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 13. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. Here is a peaceful home. Here is a joyous home. Here is a friendly home. Here is a kind home. That's what God wants your home and my home to be. But not all homes are like that. Also in Matthew chapter 10, look at verse 36. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 36. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. So while verse number 13 talked about a peaceful home, verse number 36 talks about a home that has foes, that has enemies, that has people that are saying things and doing things that are hurting each other. Pastor, why is it that some homes have peace and some homes feud? That's what we're going to look at tonight. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for each one that's here. I know it's the Christmas season. I know that folks travel, folks uh, spend time with family. And Lord, we just pray that wherever they're at, they get a hold of God, God would get their hearts. Help us, Lord, even when we're out of town, to find a place of worship and gather with God's people. Again, we're grateful for each one that's here. I know always we have some that are sick, not well. Pray you'd minister their hearts. But Lord, now as we look at this thought, I pray that you'd help us to examine our home. And what's our home like? And if our home is not the peaceful home that we looked at, help us to determine why. Help us to find out how to fix it from God's word. Direct my words. May this be helpful to each one. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, again, we're going to have family feud. If it's a game, it's funny. If it's in your home that there's feuding, there's nothing funny about it. And you know, oftentimes when there's feuding in a home, uh, there are people that say things and that do things, and uh, they last a long time. People don't forget harsh words. People don't forget harsh statements. Feud in families cause deep wounds, and feuds leave lifelong scars. Now, I know that no home is immune from differences of opinion. I understand that. I understand that when we got married, you your mate, me my mate, uh, we brought two different backgrounds into that. So I know that there will be times where the two don't see exactly the same. Having said that, it would only be a foolish home 
that would accept that, that it would be okay. Only a foolish home would decide that bickering is all right and fighting is all right and harsh words are all right. A wise home would seek to find what's at the base of this feuding. How come this is going on? And uh, so again, that's what we're looking at. If you're taking notes, and I would suggest you do, uh, my title is, Why Are There Family Feuds? Why are there family feuds? Now, as I was preparing for this, I found plenty of families that feuded in the Bible. In fact, as I was preparing for this, it's harder to find in the Bible a peaceful home than a feuding home. So we got lots of Bible, and since we can't cover all of that, we're going to restrict ourselves to the very first book of the Bible, because already there are plenty of examples. So look there, if you would, in Genesis chapter number 3. Again, we're looking at tonight, why are there family feuds? See, Pastor, it kind of sounds like you've been looking in the window of my house. We have that kind of thing happening all the time. It doesn't have to happen that way. It doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to settle that that is normal. So let's have a look here. Genesis chapter 3. Look there, if you would, in verse number 11. And he said, God said, God speaking to Adam, and he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? Now, most of us are familiar with this. God made a perfect garden, Garden of Eden. God played, put a perfect man and a perfect woman in that garden, Adam and Eve. God gave them one rule. God said, you cannot eat of that forbidden tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just one rule. They could do anything else in that garden but that. We know that uh, when God gave them that rule, uh, no sooner had God given them that rule, and they broke it. Look there in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Of course, they tried to hide it. They tried to cover up their nakedness. They tried to hide amongst the trees. God found them amongst the trees of the garden. And God says to Adam, look there again in Genesis 3, verse 11, middle of the verse, Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not? What should have been Adam's answer to that question? Yes, I did. Uh, what should have been Adam's answer is, Lord, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done it. Please forgive me. How can I fix this? Listen, in every home, there are things that are done, there are things that are said that never should have been done, never should have been said. The very best way to handle a situation like that is, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Please forgive me. How, that should have been Adam's response to God's question. And yet, look at the very next verse there in verse number 12. And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. 
Do you know his response to the problem in his home was to blame somebody else? And so you say, preacher, why is it that there are family feuds? Very first reason, if you're taking notes, is because someone is blaming another for what they do. Someone is blaming another for what they do. And so God says, Adam, you, surely you have, and, God, and Adam says, well, it's the woman. No, Adam, it's you. You took of the forbidden fruit. And yet he tried to blame someone else. So what does God do? God goes to Eve. Look at the next verse. Verse number 13, And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. So she was no different than the man. She was blaming somebody else for what she had done. Could I say to you the first reason that there is feuding in any family is somebody is not taking ownership of what they have done that's wrong. They are trying to blame somebody else for being the reason that they have failed. That is only going to be a recipe for a miserable home. Sir, you can't blame your wife if you don't have a job and work that job to raise funds. It's not your wife's fault that you don't have a job. Ma'am, it's not your fault. It's not your husband's fault that the house is a mess. It's not your husband's fault that the food hasn't been prepared. That God has told you is your responsibility to do. Now you say, Pastor, it's just coming across harsh. It's just coming across true. If you aren't doing what God has assigned you to do in the home but are justifying why you shouldn't have to do it because, after all, that's the first reason why there's families that are feuding. People are not taking responsibility for what they've done. Sir, it's not your wife's fault that you don't read your Bible. Ma'am, it's not your husband's fault that you don't spend time in prayer. Children, it's not your parents' fault that you don't talk to God and walk with God. You say, well, my wife doesn't, that doesn't stop you from doing what you're supposed to do. Well, preacher, my husband, my wife doesn't, it doesn't stop you from doing what you're supposed to do. So the first reason that there is feuding in some families is very clear. It's the very first family. This is the first family in the Bible. And can't you imagine that had to be a difficult home? He's blaming her. They say, well, preacher, she did eat. That didn't mean he had to eat of it. Just because your mate does something that's wrong doesn't mean that you have to do something that's wrong. So the very first reason why there are family feuds is there is a blaming another for what you do or what you don't do. I am sure that when David sinned with Bathsheba, we know for one year he tried to cover that up. And imagine in that one year he was putting the blame on somebody else for his adultery. Maybe he tried to say, well, my own wife 
was frigid and cold and unresponsive to me, so it was okay that I found an... It's not okay, David. It's not okay. He might have said, my kingly responsibilities have become so great that I just needed somehow to find a release. David, adultery is never okay. So you say, well, preacher, I'm not a king. Pastor, I've not been involved in that. Praise God for that. But you cannot blame somebody else when you do what you're not supposed to do. You can imagine in David's home, there was feuding. The prodigal son decides, I'm getting out of this house. I'm sure he convinced himself, my dad's too hard. My dad's too difficult to live under. He makes me work too hard. And yet, God didn't allow that prodigal son off the hook because of those excuses. I say the first reason for family feuds is someone is blaming another for what they do or what they don't do. I give you a second thing. Turn the page to Genesis chapter number 4. Genesis chapter 4, Bible says, And Cain talked with Abel his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against his brother and slew him. You know the story. This is now, if you would, still the first family in the Bible. The first feuding reason was between the husband and wife, Adam and Eve. This second feuding scenario is between those two sons, Cain and Abel. Now, they're no longer infants. They're no longer little boys. They're, they're, they're no longer, I would suggest, no longer in their teen years. I would suggest Cain and Abel have now become adults. They know that they're supposed to bring an offering to God. Not only do they know they're supposed to bring an offering to God, they know what the offering is to be. No doubt their parents told them how God killed an animal in order to cover their sins. They know that a lamb is required. Look there, if you would, in Genesis chapter number 4, verse number 4. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. So Abel did what was right. Not Cain. Look there at Genesis chapter 4 and verse 3. The Bible says, and in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground. Hold on, Cain. That is not what God said that you are supposed to bring. And we have no reason to doubt that he knew he was not bringing the right thing. Well, he brought what he felt was sufficient. Let's see how God responded to that. Verse number 5. But unto Cain and to his offering, he, God, had not respect. So God accepted Abel's. God rejected Cain's. Look at Cain's response, the last part of verse 5. And Cain was very wroth. He was angry. Come on, Cain. You're doing what you know you shouldn't do. He was angry. I'd suggest he was angry at God. Probably angry at his brother Goody two-shoes Abel always does what God tells him to do. Look at the end of verse 5. And his countenance fell. It was so obvious on his face that Cain was angry. Ever seen an angry person? 
it's so obvious on their face that they're angry. So obvious on their face that they're bitter at the world. God, in his graciousness, gives Cain a second chance to fix it. He said, if thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. Cain, Cain had not, Cain not interested God. You take what I give you or you get nothing from me at all. Not a good way to be. Not, not a good way to be. Verse 8, and, and I'm sure I've read verse 8 a hundred times in my life. But I give you the second reason why some families have feuding. Look at verse 8. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. Verse 8 begins with Cain talking to Abel. Look how the rest of the verse 8 plays out. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. What started with a simple conversation ended with a dead brother on the ground. I can only believe that it started with talking. And King got louder. And King got louder. And while Abel is doing everything that he can to keep a calmness in the conversation, Cain gets louder and louder and louder. He's trying to plug his ears to the logical words that Abel is giving until all of Abel's logic can't stop Cain from doing what shouting and angry words and bellowing inevitably end up with. And Abel's dead on the ground. Could you write the second thing? Preacher, why is there feuding in some families? The second thing is because there is bellowing and bullying to make a point. Somebody has decided, I've got to get louder to push my way here. I've got to start screaming to push my way here. I've got to start intimidating to get my point across. And that's exactly what Cain did. That had to be a miserable home. Could I say to you that short of there being a fire in your house, there is no need to raise your voice in your house. There's no reason for screaming and yelling between a husband and a wife. If, if the house is on fire, shout as loud as you can. If somebody is about to electrocute themselves because they're putting their fingers in a socket, that might justify a raised voice. But if a husband and wife can't negotiate through an issue calmly to where one of them has to get louder and louder and louder and louder, no wonder that family is in crisis. No wonder. No wonder. And so, sir, if you're convinced that you have to constantly be the one to raise your voice until the rest of the family is shaking with fear, 
you are the source of trouble in your home. There's no cause for that. And that's not solely a manly problem. There are some women that contribute to a conversation the same way. If they can't get their way, it's louder and louder and louder. And inevitably, one of the partners is trying to work through the issue calmly. The other partner is convinced I have to get louder to prove my point. And if it's not bellowing, it's bullying. And it ends up with hurt. There are hurtful statements that are made when people begin to raise their voices. There's threatening. I'll leave you. Really? Really? Is that the only recourse that you could possibly think of in a difference in your home? I pastored for 33 years. I've met with some couples that are no longer together while one is trying to calmly work through it. There is no calmness on the part of the other. And so, sir, if, if you have to raise your voice to decibel nine, if all that you have in your corner is volume, you've already lost. And ma'am, if, if, if it takes needling and nagging and pestering until he, in his recourse, decides, I think I just need to go for a long walk, Ma'am, you've already lost. Pastor, why are there families that feud? First reason is because someone is blaming someone else for what they do. Second thing is bellowing and bullying is done to make a point. Again, many hurtful things are said in those kind of conversations. The Bible has much to say about volume. The Bible says, a soft answer turneth away wrath but grievous words stir up anger. James 1.19, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. 1 Peter 3 and verse 4, the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. It's not the family member with the loudest voice that's right. It's the family member that's doing what God says to I give you a third thing. Pastor, this is pretty heavy. Well, it is called family feud tonight. Third thing. Look there at Genesis 16. Genesis chapter 16. Preacher, why do some families feud? Well, one of the reasons is someone's trying to blame somebody else for what they're doing, what they're not doing. Second reason is somebody is bellowing or bullying to make their point. There's a third reason. Look there in Genesis 16 and verse number 1. Genesis 16, verse 1, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. 
this is no longer Adam and Eve. It's no longer Cain and Abel. Now this is Abram and Sarah. We know back in Genesis 11, God called them to leave their city of Ur to go to a land that God would show them. That's, that's all they were told at the beginning. They obeyed God, and God finally promised, I'll give you this land. Well, when we get to Genesis chapter 16, a number of years have passed. That couple has been blessed with so much. God's made them rich. God promised them a land, Palestine. God promised them a hand, that he'd help them in every task that they had. God promised Abram and Sarah that they'd be a big part of God's plan. The one thing that this couple didn't have was children. Now, that shouldn't surprise us, folks. No family has it all. No home has everything. I guarantee every couple and every family that you examine closely, somewhere they're missing something. God designed it that way. God designed that we would have to get on our face before God to get grace for the one thing, the one area that we're short on that it seems other people have. And so Abram and Sarah should have simply accepted the fact that we have all of these things, things that most other people don't have. We just don't have children. If they had been content at being shortchanged in that one area, that would have been a happy home. But Sarah wasn't content with Sarah looked around at all the families that had children, and that began to eat her lunch. She began to get upset with that until she began to concoct a plan how she could get her own children another way. Pastor, why is it that some families feud? Would you write this third reason down? Someone is believing that you have a right to everything. Someone is believing that you have a right to everything. Folks, it wouldn't matter which home that we set beside each other, even in this church. There would be some things that you have that many others don't have. But there will be some things that you don't have. Can you be content with the fact that God hasn't given you everything? Can you be happy with that? It seems some folks have it together, but they just don't have enough money to make it to the end of the month. Things are just financially tight. That's the one area that they fall back on. Everything else is so good. It seems that some, their, their, their job is great. They, they, they've landed a great job. But they just have a hard time in spending that money properly. There's some, like this family, had no children. Now, if you're thinking right, you'll say, God, we'd sure like them. But if this is what you've picked for our family, God, I'll be satisfied. 
But Sarah wasn't satisfied. And so she comes to her husband and she said, I got an idea how to get children. And she said, I've got a handmaid, Hagar. And you could have a child by Hagar. <laughs> what a thought. What a thought. There's a word that we find there in Genesis chapter 16. Look at verse 2 again. End of the verse, it says, And Abram hearkened. I know the very simplest definition of hearkened is heard. But there seems to be in the Bible an insinuation to the word hearkened. Is that these words have been said again and again and again and again until finally somebody just gave in to that idea. Pastor, where do you get that? When Joseph was a slave over there, Genesis 39, Potiphar's wife propositioned him. Day in and day out. And it says, and he hearkened not unto what she said. It seems that Sarah said to her husband, I've got a plan. I'd like to think that Abram said, honey, why don't we be thankful for everything else that we do have? But she just kept saying it again. I say the third reason why there is feuding in the home is somebody believes that they have a right to everything. You know, the Bible says that a woman that's like that is like a continual dropping in a very rainy day. On a rainy day. We don't have rainy days this time of year. We have snowy days. But you know whether it's spring or fall and there's that one leak in the eave trough? Drip. 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 After all, I'd drive you nuts. <laughs> I'd drive you crazy. And Abram listened to his wife's discontent until finally he hearkened to what she said. You and I know that that created a problem that still is brewing today. I'm suggesting, of course, God hasn't given your family everything. Thank God for what he has given. I'll give you the last thing. Done with this. Then we'll get to the game. Look there at Genesis 24. Genesis chapter number 24. Pastor, why is there feuding in the home? Somebody is blaming someone else for what they don't do. They're not taking personal responsibility. Secondly, somebody is bellowing or bullying every time they try to make a point. Third reason is somebody believes that they have a right to everything that everybody else has. And they're willing to do whatever it takes to get it. I give you a fourth thing. Look there, Genesis chapter 24, very last verse of the Bible. Sorry, of this chapter. Genesis 24, verse 67. And Isaac brought her unto his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. We don't have time to get in the story of how Abram's son Isaac meets Rebekah. Servant goes far country, gets Rebekah, Rebekah comes back. Isaac lays his eyes on Rebecca and says, wow, 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 and, and, and they get married. Do you know what described the marriage that they have in verse 67 is love? 
I don't think that Isaac or Rebecca had any hesitation to make the vows that we made when we got married. Love, honor, cherish. And the woman adds a fourth thing, obey. They loved each other. There's no question that their marriage started with a love between them. Do you know the next time that the word love shows up in this particular family? Look there in Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25 and verse number 28. Genesis 25 verse 28 it says, And Isaac, here's the father, loved Esau because he did eat of his venison and Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, folks, every parent should love their children, absolutely. But we have no more record of Isaac loving Rebekah. That, that, that's now past. And now the love that Isaac has, instead of for his wife, it's for one of his sons. And the love that Rebekah once had for her husband Isaac, now her love has been redirected to another of the sons. Now, hold on a minute. We're supposed to love our children. But your love for your child should never supersede your love for your husband or wife. So the very next mention of love, it never says again that Isaac loved Rebecca. Never says it. It says each of those parents loved one of their children. So the love for each other was now superseded by the love for a child. Now, these aren't little children, folks. Uh, by best guess, they're late 30s, almost 40. By that time, most have left home and set up their own home. And that's what happens with most homes. Those children grow up and launch out on their own. If you in your home have allowed the love between a husband and wife to be superseded by love for a child, yes, love your children. But as soon as your love for your children becomes more important than your love for your husband or your love for your wife, there's trouble in that home. And we know what happened. The mother hears dad say to Esau, the one he loved, I want you to go out and hunt for wild game and prepare it the way I'd like, and I'm going to bless you. Do you know that was perfectly scriptural for Abram to do that? It was his right to give the Abrahamic blessing. But Rebecca heard that, and she brings in the son that she loves and says, Jacob, I'm going to help you to steal your father's blessing. Remember what the vows were at the wedding? Love, honor, cherish. And of course, for the woman, it's also obey. Love has been lost in this, in this marriage. As far as honor, Rebecca is training her children that they don't have to follow dad. They don't have to listen to dad. They don't have to obey dad. Folks, honor is out the window. And cherish is out the window. 
And somehow this mother convinced herself that it was okay to put her children above her own marriage Within just a few days, that son that she loved more, Jacob, he was gone. She never saw him again. And when Esau found out what his brother had done, and no doubt he found out that his mother helped him, that friendship was destroyed too. If you still have little children in your home, one day they'll become big children. One day they'll be gone. Statistics say that most divorces happen within the first five years of a marriage. Next likely time is when all the children are gone. Because that husband and wife have focused their attention on some of the children work, hobbies. And when those children are all gone, they have nothing left between them. I wonder what we're training our children. Are we training our children by what we say that they don't have to listen to dad? They don't have to honor mom. That's a cute little thing. I'm done. There was a family that was having marriage issues. The father, by his example, was teaching his children everything was mama's fault. It's always her fault. One day that their little boy was sitting on the front steps, his face cradled in his hands, looked forlorn. His dad came home for work just then, asked him what was wrong. That little boy looked up and said, well, just between you and me, dad, I'm having trouble getting along with your wife, too. <laughs> In other words, that little boy had heard Dad always talking about, it's Mom's fault. It's Mom's fault. And now he was convinced all of his problems were his Mom's fault. We only have a few years where our children are in our home. My, they sure need to see an example of love. very last reason why some marriages or feuding, is because somebody is breaking the vows that they made at a marriage altar. Someone's breaking the vows. You vowed to love, honor, cherish. And ladies, the fourth thing is obey him. Are you still doing those things? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the text Lord Matthew talked about two different kind of homes. One, a very peaceful home. The second, a home where there were foes within the same house. And Lord, we found some reasons why some families have feuding. Somebody in that family, no doubt, is blaming somebody else instead of taking responsibility themselves. Lord, sometimes it's somebody is bellowing and bullying to make their point. Lord, we found that some homes, the difficulty is somebody believes they have a right to everything that everybody else has. And Lord, somebody is breaking the vows that they made. Would you help our homes? No home is perfect. Every home has room for improvement. Lord, would you help us to be honest 
The Bible makes it very clear, only by pride cometh contention. Would you help us to be honest with ourselves, honest with God, honest with our mate, and have a peaceful home? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.